Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Hey, it's Wilfred O. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The situation is growing desperate for Ukraine as Russia continues to pound major cities with airstrikes and artillery. As a matter of fact, the issue is so urgent that President Biden will travel to Europe for an emergency NATO summit later this month. That should be comforting to the countless civilians hunkered down in bomb shelters. Joe Biden is on the way. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The war in Ukraine is getting worse with each passing day, as we had assumed here that it would, despite the early assessments from people who got most of their information about Ukraine from the latest meme they had seen on Twitter or Facebook. The Russian war machine is grinding on. The civilian casualties are mounting and the destruction is getting worse with each passing hour. 
This is a conflict that we need to end as soon as possible to save as many lives as possible inside of Ukraine. That's almost certainly going to be through some form of negotiated settlement, even if the Russians are unable to, in the fashion, the speed with which they had planned, take the capital city of Kyiv, the Ukrainians are unlikely to be able to take back lost territory given the military disparities involved here. So a negotiated settlement is the way out, almost certainly. And you would think that given that diplomacy will play such a large role in all of this, we would have a moment where the U.S. would step in and be able to provide, well, some leadership. But unfortunately, Joe Biden, when he seems to be paying attention and seems cogent enough, is the commander-in-chief, and he is who we are relying on here to run that effort in the end. Jen Psaki, White House press uh, press secretary, saying today that Biden is going to go to NATO, a NATO summit later this month to try to figure out this mess. Also some news some of you have been asking about. The president will travel to Brussels, Belgium later this month, where he will join an extraordinary NATO summit on March 24th to discuss ongoing deterrence and defense efforts in response to Russia's unprovoked and unjustified attack on Ukraine, as well as to reaffirm our ironclad commitment to our NATO allies. Uh, He will also join a scheduled European Council summit to discuss our shared concerns about Ukraine, including transatlantic efforts to impose economic costs on Russia, provide humanitarian support to those affected by the violence, and address other challenges related to the conflict. Uh, Express concerns at meetings. That's what Joe Biden will be doing later this month, which one would think indicates that no one believes this is going to come to a conclusion, this war anytime soon. And so, as is often the case, we're forced to wonder, what exactly is the Biden administration plan here? Is there one? Do they have an idea of how they think this can be brought to an end, what that would even look like? While that's going on, there are also continuing calls for a no-fly zone, and not just from the punditocracy and some Democrat and even a handful of Republican lawmakers in this country. Estonia is now the first NATO country to call for officially a no-fly zone in Ukraine. Now, Estonia is a very small country and would be a very small part, if a part at all, of the no-fly zone. But the Estonian parliament asked the UN member states to take immediate steps to establish a no-fly zone in order to prevent massive civilian casualties in Ukraine. Now, this, to many, sounds like something that would be a good idea. And then they learn often what a no-fly zone would entail, which is the willingness to not only put U.S. and other NATO ally planes at risk by flying over an active war zone in Ukraine, but to shoot down to enforce the no-fly zone Russian planes, and also in order to be able to safely fly in the first place to destroy Russian surface-to-air missiles that would be deployed both inside inside Ukraine and on Russian soil. So how is that supposed to work exactly? Well, Zelensky addressed the Canadian Parliament today, and he said that he believes a no-fly zone is, in fact, a moral obligation of the West, um, and he will be addressing Congress tomorrow. So there'll be more calls for that, I'm sure. In the meantime, the Saki, uh, rather the Biden regime, has Jen Saki out there telling everybody that a no-fly zone would be seen as escalatory. Watch. 
It is also true that the President has to look at decisions that are made through the prism of what is in our national security interests and global security interests. And he continues to believe that a no-fly zone uh, would be escalatory, could prompt a war with Russia. I don't believe there's a lot of advocates calling for that at this point in time from Capitol Hill, but we certainly understand and recognize that is still a call from uh, President Zelensky. There are some on Capitol Hill who have said they want one, and there are certainly those in the American public who believe that a no-fly zone would somehow serve the purposes, the national security interests of the United States, which is what we're supposed to be thinking about first and foremost, even though the moment you start to add all these pieces together, you wonder what exactly do those people think the Russian response would be. Completely under, understandable that from the Zelensky point of view, he just wants as much help as he can get to try to hold back and, uh, and defend himself and his people against the Russians. Um, so he wants a no-fly zone. But it was interesting today, he also seemed to indicate, and this was central to how we even got into this mess in the first place, how the foreign policy elites and the national security apparatus of NATO and the U.S. were unable to prevent this war from breaking out, which they seemed to believe up until the bullets started flying they'd be able to. Uh, Zelensky seemed to indicate today that NATO membership for Ukraine was unlikely to ever happen, which goes to the center of what the possible negotiated settlement here may involve. Here's Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, saying along those lines, that's what's going to happen. Зрозуміло, що Україна не є членом НАТО. Ми це розуміємо. Ми адекватні люди. Роками ми чули про нібито відкриті двері, але вже почули також, що нам туди не увійти. І це правда, і треба це визнавати. Я радий, що наш народ починає це розуміти і розраховувати на себе і на наших партнерів, які нам допомагають. Says it's the truth that we probably won't be able to join you, uh, join NATO, and we, we should admit it. So that's Zelensky himself. This could be a major component of a negotiation to end uh, conflict. Back here in the States, a couple of folks, Doug Feith and John Hanna, are proposing a humanitarian airlift to Ukraine. They wrote this in the pages of the Wall Street Journal. We propose an international airlift organized and supported by the U.S. The goal would be to provide food, medicine, and other non-military supplies for days, weeks, maybe longer. Countries viewed as not hostile to Russia, perhaps Brazil, Egypt, India, and the United Arab Emirates could take the lead in flying planes into Ukraine. Humanitarian efforts are certainly worthy and a good idea. We should be helping as much as we can, but that's not going to end the conflict itself. That's not going to deal with the central challenge, the central problem here. Uh, for many of us who are trying to view this situation as adults that are dealing with life and death uh, in Ukraine, that the utter seriousness of this requires the putting aside of the usual partisan petty nonsense. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case even for some elected officials in this country. It's certainly not the case of the Democrat-aligned media. Former Senator Claire McCaskill is among many, including a uh, senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin, who's out there saying similar things, that the enemy isn't really Putin. The enemy is Putin mouthpiece, uh, or Putin's mouthpieces of this country, including as they just slander him here, Tucker Carlson, watch. He also needs to warn America about allowing Putin to use them for his propaganda. And I particularly hope he mentions the false flag about biological weapons in Ukraine uh, so that all the Republicans hear that Tucker Carlson and others are really uh, really close to treason in terms of what they're saying and parroting uh, what 
is 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 Putin's dream that he could have American media spreading his propaganda in the middle of his murderous assault on innocent children uh, and civilians in Ukraine. It's just total garbage coming out of that woman's mouth. Many uh, Democrats saying similar things, though. First of all, how would one be committing treason against Ukraine? I'm not, nor is Tucker, nor any of the other folks on the right who are trying to look at this with clear eyes. Ukrainian citizens or members of the Ukrainian uh, government or military, we're not committing treason against Ukraine. That's absurd. And beyond that, there was no false flag up. Well, what is she even talking about? But it doesn't matter, you see, because for, for the left, the real enemies are always here at home. It doesn't matter what's going on abroad. The real enemies are always their fellow Americans. But according to new reports, Vladimir Putin has reached out to China for assistance in his nation's invasion of Ukraine. So is the Chinese Communist Party willing to bail out Putin? I'll ask senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Dean Cheng, when we come back. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue. That's why you need Secure. You can send emails to anybody knowing that it won't be spied on, won't be intercepted, scanned, sold to anybody. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. And use promo code BUCK for 25% off. Dean Cheng joins us when we come back. Stay with us. Western officials are claiming China has shown a willingness to offer military and financial support to Russia as part of its war on Ukraine. According to reports, the assistance Russia has requested include prepackaged military food kits known in the U.S. as Meals Ready to Eat or MREs. After the news broke yesterday, President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, conveyed deep concerns to a top Chinese diplomat in Rome in what was a, quote, intense seven-hour session reflecting the gravity of the moment. A Biden official said the U.S. warned that China could face grave consequences for supporting Russia. So what would that be? Let's ask Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Dean Chang. Dean, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So what is the reality of whether China is helping out Russia in this situation or not, or, or in what ways? I mean, where are they being helpful? Where are they holding back? Well, uh, we know that they are certainly, the Chinese are definitely helping the Russians diplomatically, politically, uh, to some extent financially, signing contracts uh, with various uh, Russian entities. Um, the story that is um, in the news right now, of course, about military assistance is much less clear. We're hearing a lot from American sources, always unnamed, always anonymous, uh, that uh, Russia has approached China and perhaps China's even agreed, but nothing firmer than that. And over the last several years, uh, in my personal opinion, uh, anonymous sources have often not proven to be accurate. So what are your expectations for how China will respond to the diplomatic, uh, diplomatic entreaties, pressure, I guess, depending on how you want to put it, from Western nations, notably the U.S. I mean, yesterday, long meetings with Jake Sullivan in, uh, in Rome and Chinese intermediaries. What do you think we, or rather the Biden administration, is trying to get from them, and how likely are they to, uh, to go along with it? 
Well, let's remember first off that this uh, meeting in Rome actually was scheduled far in advance. Um, it was a matter of, uh, I guess, good timing in a sense that uh, it occurs in the middle of this war, but that was not the situation when it was originally scheduled. Um, I think that the Biden administration is probably hoping to do uh, at least one of two things. Uh, if there is an actual Russian request to publicize it and uh, shame maybe the Chinese into not complying and otherwise just trying to, in a sense, preempt any possible Chinese assistance. Uh, whether or not that'll succeed is much less clear, in part because uh, the Chinese and Russians clearly are uh, willing to cooperate uh, in a non-military way. They uh, issued a joint statement on February 4th on the eve of the uh, Winter Olympics. Um, it's not clear that China is going to supply Russia with weapons. I think it's also important to note here that uh, there are broadly speaking three areas where the Chinese could be of help. Uh, one would be in things like spare parts uh, or food. Uh, this is uh, to keep the Russian equipment rolling but not necessarily killing people per se. Uh, second would be actual munitions, bombs, rockets. Uh, a lot of Chinese equipment either is borrowed from or based off of uh, Russian stuff. And then third would be actual military equipment. That's the kind of thing that would be very hard to deny. The first two, the Chinese could say, we're providing uh, broad sets of supplies. We're not, uh, you know, prove that it's us. Uh, Chinese tanks showing up in Ukraine would be right. pretty clear. Um, uh, from the beginning of the sanctions uh, implementation here, there have been concerns that China will just become the outlet, for example, for Russian oil, even if we go after full, more fully the Russian energy sector. I mean, to what extent is that reality and, and how much can China actually absorb in terms of the, uh, the economic losses that Russia, or I should say offset the economic uh, losses that Russia would be incurring as a result of these ongoing sanctions? China's the world's largest importer of hydrocarbons. Um, so, and since oil is fungible, uh, certainly they could import Russian oil. They've already has built some pipelines. Uh, they are uh, building out new pipelines. And again, this all predates uh, the war in Ukraine. So absolutely, we should expect that the Chinese, uh, simply to keep their own lights going, are going to do that. Uh, let's also uh, remember, though, that this administration, apparently, according to uh, Agence France Presse, uh, has issued a written guarantee to the Russians, allowing them to deal with the Iranians on oil. And because oil is fungible, it's going to be a really interesting question how we're going to differentiate Iranian from Russian oil under the revised JCPOA. The other thing here is that the Chinese um, have apparently agreed in some cases to uh, basically allow trade to go on even without letters of credit. And that's because of the financial sanctions being placed on the Russians. So there's a whole lot of trust me here going on. But the Chinese do seem to be trustworthy in this regard, at least with uh, their Russian partners. Jen Psaki yesterday was speaking uh, to reporters, as she, as she often does, and the issue of how we could try to leverage our uh, request, shall we say, with China vis-a-vis uh, -vis the situation in Ukraine. I wanted to play that exchange for you and have you react to it. What are the consequences for China if they do aid Russia? It's 
Well, I'm not going to get into specific consequences. I think what we have conveyed and what was conveyed by our national security advisor in this meeting is that should they provide military or other assistance uh, that, of course, violates sanctions or, uh, or supports the war effort, uh, that there will be uh, significant consequences. But in terms of what those specifics look like, we would coordinate with our partners and allies to make that determination. But Jake Sullivan certainly communicated that there would be consequences. Yes, as we have also said publicly a number of times. So, Dean, you've already said it doesn't look like so far China has given any real military assistance, and it may not do so. But just uh, for the purpose of discussion here, what would we do? I mean, is it realistic to think the Biden administration might even try to take on sanctions against China for violations of even, let's say, economic sanctions against Russia? Well, the track record of Chinese compliance with sanctions on North Korea should make us all very pessimistic. China negotiates down, waters down those sanctions, says, okay, now we'll abide by those. And then usually three or six months later, it turns out that they're cheating on those sanctions and supplying North Korea. And North Korea is a far smaller player, far more vulnerable player. The problem here is how do you sanction the number two economy in the world? And do you think our allies are also going to be uh, supportive of this? Um, so far, it, it took an invasion uh, to get uh, Germany, for example, to finally uh, cut Nord Stream 2. You're talking tens of thousands of jobs for Volkswagen. Uh, you're talking about thousands of jobs across Europe that tie back to China. Are they going to be willing uh, in a turbulent global economy to sanction China, especially if it's over economic relations with Russia and not military equipment? What do you think? I mean, seems unlikely to me. First of all, I mean, my belief is that there are sanctions against Russia. As soon as the conflict ends and there's a settlement, those will pretty rapidly go away. So I don't, if I don't think we have the diplomatic wherewithal to continue that against Russia for very long beyond the actual conflict, going after China with sanctions too, Dean, feels like this administration is not going to bite that one off. I think it's going to be an incredibly difficult sell. I think it's going to be a difficult sell here in the United States. I mean, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, uh, uh, all of these companies have been willing to leave Russia, but you know we've seen the MBA, Nike, uh, even Intel basically say we're we're staying in China despite massive human rights abuses and the like. Uh, to expect them to leave China because China is uh, tied to Russia, especially you know if and when the war ends, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Um, as you said, if the sanctions on Russia start coming off. What's going to be the appeal for keeping sanctions right. on China? Yeah, it feels like that's not going to happen, but we'll have to see. Dean, always good to see you. Thanks for the expertise. Thank you for having me. An elementary school in San Antonio, Texas, is coming under fire after teachers in that school segregated 10-year-old students in order to teach about anti-racism. We'll look at the details on that story with the founder of the 1776 Project PAC, Ryan Gerdusky, when we come back. A public school in San Antonio, Texas, is under fire today for a sick anti-racism lesson that segregated 10-year-olds by hair color. According to the parents of one student at Leon Springs Elementary, teachers told students that the children in the fair-haired group were not as intelligent. That group was purposely given a game with pieces missing so they could not play. Later, they were made to clean up after the other children. The lesson also included a screening of the Spike Lee documentary, 
four little girls about the 1963 Alabama church bombing. The documentary uh, reportedly includes uh, graphic autopsy photos of the dead children. This is what teachers are, in this one school at least, showing 10-year-olds. They also tell you somehow there's no critical race theory in public schools anywhere in America. That's what the left says, but we know that's not true. So what's going on here? Joining me now is the author of They're Not Listening and founder of the 1776 Project PAC, Ryan Gradusky. Ryan, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, this is, uh, you know, there's these cases that come up. They keep saying when we talk about critical race theory in schools and what can and cannot be taught, uh, they say there is no critical race theory, as you well know. I know you do a lot of work on this issue, Ryan. But then an incident like this comes up. How much of this kind of stuff is actually going on across the country? I mean, people hear this when they say, this is just, this is like lunacy that they're inflicting upon children. So what I like to say is that critical race theory is not being taught in school, it's being practiced in school, which is a second separate thing. This is happening all over the entire country. I mean, and it's most pronounced oftentimes in red counties and red states and red districts. I was just in Collin County, Texas, where the kids were told uh, what on un, un, implicit biases, where they are told what white people think is things like Mexicans love tacos and Asians are bad drivers and blacks are lazy. Uh, I was at another school district in Fredericksburg, Maryland, a red district in, in, in a blue state. And uh, the white kids had to, white third graders had to walk up to all the black third graders and apologize. Um, in Atlanta, Georgia, a black mother asked her the black principal to put her black child in a specific classroom. And the black principal said, no, sorry, this is a classroom for only white students because we want black kids only with other blacks to, in, to in completely immerse themselves in their blackness. This is happening all over. In the reddest of red states, in the bluest of blue states, it is, and there's no silver bullet for it. It's gonna take a lot of work to undo all this. There, uh, in that case I, I started out with here in the segment, Ryan, where they were segregating kids by hair color and some of them had to clean up after the other kids and were suffering this mistreatment. The school district uh, statement on, on the fifth grade lesson said the following, uh, the activity and video in question were part of a larger fifth grade project-based lesson around the iniquity of segregation. While the campus did receive positive feedback from several parents, district and campus administration recognized the parents' concerns and agree the activity and video are not age appropriate and will not be used again. So they're, they're kind of saying, uh, you know, all right, maybe this one went a little far, but overall we thought it was a pretty good lesson. I mean, it's remarkable, this school district. So I, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're continuing this, but this has been going on for actually a very, very, very long time where they, where they have this, where they have this, uh, this program. Uh, but this is the least of it. I mean, privilege walks are happening in every state, like I said, um, and it's how they are incorporating now critical race theory into the hard sciences, into science, into math class, and all the rest of it. Um, it's not it's not appropriate for any age when you when you when we do that. By the way, there's also this. Uh, speaking of the teaching in school situation and uh, possible efforts you mentioned, it's going to take a lot of time. There's no silver bullet to undo some of the left wing kind of Marxist indoctrination that's happening of little kids. Uh, here you have the don't say gay bill in Florida getting a lot of attention. It's really the parental rights bill, but the media just dubbed it the don't say gay bill because that was the, uh, that was the, the talking point, really the, the line of attack used by LGBTQ activists against it. Ron DeSantis, Ryan, not standing around for this one quietly. Here's how he responded to a reporter asking about this. 
Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. It says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For, for, for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. Now, put, put aside for a moment, I mean, I, I think Ron DeSantis is great in the way that he deals with uh, the fake news. Um, but on the issue of, the, of this bill, Ryan, my, my understanding is that when they've actually started to see some polling on this, now that people know what's in it and what's not, a pretty solid majority of the American people are like, no, you shouldn't be teaching five, six, and seven-year-olds this stuff in public school curriculum. What, what's, what's the truth of it? Polling is actually really mixed on the issue. Um, you, I've seen polls that have it overwhelmingly opposed this bill and polls are overwhelmingly supportive of the bill. I think it's just going to take time to actually need to let out. And once people realize what's actually in the bill, um, they won't be so opposed to it. I think that the most important thing that people could learn from DeSantis is that you have to fight for public education. You know, for decades, Republicans have sat there and said, we should just try as hard as we can to move kids out of public education to private education. That is not the answer. Private schools in many cases are actually far more woke, far more liberal and far more progressive with no government oversight and little parental involvement as possible. Um, so I say kudos to him and kudos to anyone trying to actually work to uh, reform public education, because that's where the fight is. That's where 85 percent of American children go to is public education. Should there be bills um, passed in as many states as there are Republican majority legislatures leading in this midterm election that force Democrats to take positions on things like instruction in gender identity for five, six and seven year olds that take them to um, force them to take a position on whether there can be racial indoctrination training for you know third graders or whatever the case may be? Do you think that that's smart politics? I think the smart politics right now with the school transparency bills that are being pushed in every state. So basically, teachers would have to put online their entire curriculum, public and private school teachers. That's really, I think, the biggest advancement parents can get. The reason parents became active in the education fight leading up to the Virginia election in 2021 was because their kids were at home. They were learning at home, and they were, and parents got to see very vividly what their kids were learning, and they were horrified. Um, I think that, that transparency needs to be available to all parents, public and private school, and it would be ridiculous not to uh, to accept that. I think that would be a line that everyone would sit there and support overwhelmingly, and uh, that would be a very tough fight for uh, for Democrats to sit there and back away from. Ryan Gerdusky, good to see you, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up, Kyrie Irving, not allowed to play basketball in New York City, but able to be in the stands. He's an NBA superstar. People are paying attention to this. Doesn't seem like the COVID rules make any sense. We'll get into that with Morgan Zeggers in a moment. You know, hackers capitalize on uncertainty, and there's a lot of that in the world right now, which is why you got to be on the lookout for these scams. One of the ones that's really hard to detect and harder to stop is home title fraud. Home title fraud happens when a hacker finds the title to your home online. Then he forges your signature and removes you from your home's title. They'll often take out loans on your home and leave you in debt. What makes home title fraud so devastating is you won't know you've been hacked usually until it's too late. 
You can go to your county recorder's office and check, or you can simply visit HomeTitleLock.com. Enter your address to see if you're already a victim. It's just smart to do this. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more on the line. While the Russia-Ukraine war is dominating all the news headlines lately, we can't forget to shine light on the COVID-19 lunacy that continues to take place here in America. The latest example comes from the world of sports. The NBA fined the Brooklyn Nets $50,000 for allowing basketball star uh, Kyrie Irving to join the team in the locker room after this weekend's game in violation of the league's COVID-19 protocols. Irving, who is unvaccinated, is not allowed to join the team for home games in Brooklyn because of New York's private sector vaccine mandate, but local mandates now allow him to enter the Barclays Center as a spectator, but not as an employee on the court, because this is like science or something, right? Here's what New York Mayor Eric Adams had to say about the situation when asked. And you're right, sir, you're right. And you're right. Thank you. Listen, you're right. Kyrie can play tomorrow. Get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, so now it's just they make people get vaccinated just to make them get vaccinated, apparently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Here with Reaction, first TV contributor and founder of Young Americans Against Socialism, Morgan Zegers. Morgan, what's up? Hi, Buck. I mean, I'm frustrated by this video, but other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> Thanks for yes. having me. Um, so far, the mayor of New York City is an absolute uh, abject failure, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, let's, I know it's early, they'll say, but so far, it's not good. Uh, let's look uh, at, at the rules here. So Kyrie Irving, um, I, and I've, this has been explained to me by my very uh, sports-knowledgeable co-host on radio, Clay Travis, Kyrie Irving Morgan cannot play because he is a New York-located uh, basketball player he can, though, be in the front row in the stadium or you know, whatever, the, the arena, uh, as a, as a uh, viewer of the game. He's not allowed to be in the locker room, though. That's not okay. But meanwhile, other players who are unvaccinated from other states are, in fact, under New York rules, allowed to play on the floor, are allowed to be in the basketball game and also be in the locker rooms. Uh, does the virus differentiate? I'm just curious. How does this work? Oh, Buck, it's just another anti-science take by the left. I mean, they're anti-science on abortion, on gender, on transgenderism and masculinity versus femin uh, femininity. They're anti-science with all of COVID and they're anti-science with climate change. And so this is really just a repeated pattern. Now, I find it fascinating to me because I don't really watch many sports, but look at this. This issue and all of COVID has made this little political nerd and history nerd interested in sports all of a sudden because I have to learn all about these athletes and who's standing up and what these regulations are for the games. And so I'm really hoping that in a reverse sense, this is also happening where all these people that love sports but maybe aren't paying attention to politics and have never really cared about this stuff before, I hope that it's making them more interested in policy and understanding government because they're looking at these people, they're looking at these games, and it's not making sense to them. So I hope that this is waking up a lot of those apolitical people that are starting to realize how ridiculous these mandates and, in general, government overregulation, uh, ineffectiveness, and tyranny can really be. So I'm, I'm hopeful about this situation. It's just got to keep happening for people to finally learn their lesson. Net star Kevin Durant put out a statement criticizing the mayor of New York City on this one. 
He said, are there, or rather wrote, are they fearing our safety? I don't get it. We're all confused. Everybody in the world is confused at this point. Early on in the season, people didn't understand what was going on, but now it just looks stupid. It's ridiculous. It feels like at this point, somebody's trying to make a statement or a point to flex their authority. Everybody out here is looking for attention. That's what I feel the mayor wants right now is some attention, but he'll figure it out soon. He better. What do you think? Yeah, it's another situation. I was very excited to see this because, like I said, I don't know sports. I didn't know about this man either, but I learned all about him after I saw him speaking out. So we're seeing this merge of worlds. But I would also say it's really up to athletes like this and to military members because their profession is really all centered around being in tip-top shape, making sure that your body is taken care of, that you're living mentally and physically well for yourself so that you can perform your job and take care of yourself and your family. And now we're telling them to take completely anti-science takes that are probably bad for their health and against the choice concept that we live by here in America. So I really respect athletes and military members speaking out about this. They're the ones that we should be looking up to and, and, and hearing their opinions on issues like this for sure. So I, I also found out today, Morgan, that uh, the New York Mets and the New York Yankees baseball players, I, I believe one of the stars of the New York Yankees, like the, the primary, the most famous, I, I don't follow baseball, but the guy who's the most well-known baseball player, people think, mm -hmm. it's not clear, but maybe based upon his public statements unvaccinated, they, the baseball players in New York, are not allowed, even though they are Outside, during the baseball game, they are not allowed to play in the baseball game unless they are vaccinated, but they could be in the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that all the spectators out there, all the kids, all the young people that maybe think democratic socialism and all these policies pushed by the left in a very nice and progressive way and all this fancy, fruitful language, I hope they're starting to see the farce that it really is. And, and it's, it's cultural situations like sports that are really going to help bridge the gap for people and connect the dots of how insane this whole situation has become. By the way, following the uh, similar but uh, slightly different topic, Following the recommendation of the CDC, the TSA is going to extend its mask mandate for airplanes through mid-April. It's also for the airport, by the way, and for, I just was on an Amtrak, Morgan. You got a mask up on the Amtrak. So the CDC, of course, is just, is an absurdity. It should be torn down to the studs and something meaningful should be rebuilt, worthwhile should be rebuilt in its place. But I wanted you to hear Jen Psaki, uh, chief PR lady for the White House, I wanted you to hear what she says about, you know, yeah, this makes sense. The only place in life you have to be masked is a plane because people travel or something. Listen. I ask you about the transportation mask mandate. Uh, sure. TSA says it was based on a CDC recommendation. I'm just wondering if you're in a position to explain the rationale, the science, the logic behind continuing it in places where the community level is low. Well, I would... I would really point you to the CDC to provide further detail, but I would note, as you know, when you get on an airplane, you travel to different places, right? You're not just static in one place, whether it's a green zone or a yellow zone or a red zone. It's unique, right? If we're in Washington, D.C. and we're in a green zone or a yellow zone, you can make a clear assessment. If you're moving from one zone to another and you're picking people up from one zone to another, it's a little bit different, and that requires some consultation, which is what they're going to endeavor to do between now and April 18th. I mean, first of all, no one has any idea what the color of their zone is anymore. They just completely changed the formulation a week or two ago as well. The whole thing is so stupid. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's comical, but it's also very concerning. Like You could look at it and say, nobody gives a crap anymore. I mean, I live in a free area, and so I don't even think about masks. I mean, when I have to fly, I'm like, wait, 
people still do that. And and so it's like a, a culture shock almost to go to other places in the country, especially Washington, D.C. It shows how different the people's mindset is there. Jen Psaki and the administration and all the bureaucrats that live there. Ugh. But uh, the concerning factor of this, Buck, is that this is like USSR, Soviet Union level propaganda coming out of Washington, D.C. The, the United States executive branch is, pu- is pushing out Stalin-esque propaganda. And it's, it's ironic because when you don't connect the dots of the past to the present to the future, you're unable to understand the propaganda that's coming out of Washington, D.C. today is similar to the Soviet Union propaganda of, of yesteryear. And guess what? Now we're dealing with a situation in Ukraine with Putin. And it just really brings it all full circle that these same people like Jen Psaki are saying we have to defeat Putin and that Putin is so evil. But then they're also employing the same tacks that Putin used to employ when he was in the KGB working with the USSR. And now he wants to reinstill the glory. So it's all connected. And if everybody was just a little bit more aware of the world around them, of civics, of history, of government, perhaps we'd be in a better place. But what do you know? You can't make people care. They're going to have to learn the lesson the hard way. And let's be real, that's that's probably going to happen. Be careful with all that sanity, Morgan. The libs don't like it. (laughs) Thank you, Buck. Thanks for joining us. An Italian school gives a heartwarming welcome to Ukrainian refugee children on the first day. We'll show you the uplifting viral video coming up in Quick Hits. Senator Rand Paul introduces an amendment that would eliminate Dr. Fauci's position as the NIH director and a brave employee of Russian state media interrupts a live broadcast with an anti-war sign. It is time for Quick Hits. Where's Fauci? Has anybody seen him? Fallen in between the place in the car where you buckle the seatbelt and where the chair is with the door, you know? What's what's going on? Where's Fauci? He's just kind of disappeared for a while. Seems so strange because he was on TV about every five minutes for the last two years. The guy was obsessed with seeing his face on the TV screen, spewing nonsense and tyrannical idiocy. But somehow it's really hard to find him. Well, Senator Rand Paul may find him. He's introduced an amendment that would eliminate Dr. Anthony Fauci's position as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. In a statement Senator Paul put out, we've learned a lot over the past two years. But one lesson in particular is that no one person should be deemed dictator-in-chief. No one person should have unilateral authority to make decisions for millions of Americans. Um, It's absolutely true. Uh, Of course, I would assume that Dr. Fauci will retire if Republicans take back control of the House and perhaps the Senate as well, because then they would want to have hearings. They would ask for the basis for a lot of the decision-making, which was not rooted in science. It was rooted in do what we say or else. It was rooted in shut up and obey, peasant. While the elites, of course, zoom from their couches, order in their food, and could care less about, remember the essential workers? They they were all going out there having to risk getting COVID. It didn't stop the elites from talking about how we're all in this together. It's all so dishonest and so grotesque. It was a mass hysteria. I've actually spoken to a psychiatrist on radio about this recently, who, not as a patient, but as as a guest interview, uh, who said that it is a it is a mass delusion hysteria that the country has been through because of people like Anthony Fauci, no question about it. Now, there's some real bravery that is occurring here in, inside of Russia. There are people who have been uh, who have been attacked for trying to protest against the war. You've seen video, I'm sure, if you spend time on social media, of Russians 
speaking out against Putin's aggression in Ukraine and being bludgeoned with truncheons, being attacked out on the streets of their own city because there is no free speech in Russia. It's effectively under a form of martial law right now. You say anything bad about the war and men with guns and batons start attacking you under the orders of the state. While a employee of Russian state TV channel one interrupted a live broadcast with an anti-war sign. The sign says, stop the war. Don't believe propaganda. They're lying to you here. Marina Avzinakova is her name. Watch. Российский премьер подчеркнул, надо усилить сотрудничество в рамках союзного государства, а на совещании в правительстве обсуждали, как сохранить доступность лекарницы не должны. See, they switched the shot there very quickly to try to avoid more people seeing this. Um, she is going to face reprisals. That woman is going to face reprisals from the Putin regime for her bravery in standing up against this unjust, aggressive war. And uh, it's... It's one of those moments where you realize, you know, living in a free society, which we still are in America technically, although some days it feels like less and less so, uh, is such a precious thing and needs to be defended. People need to be able to speak out, speak their minds without the hand of the state coming down to crush them, despite what the idiots on The View or some panel at MSNBC or the New York Times editorial page may think. Oh, and then there's the White House's TikTok influencer campaign. There was a TikTok uh, influencer campaign. They brought down the TikTok influencers to have people who uh, probably would have trouble spelling gasoline to expect or to explain gas prices and inflation to very young, impressionable audiences from the most effective mouthpieces possible. Here is one TikTok influencer who repeated the White House talking points. Watch this one. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7, and here's what they said. The obvious reason, we are getting out of a two-year pandemic. When use goes up, price goes up. But the call was predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil, and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. So with people being scared of war and limited resources, prices are bound to go up as well. For the people who can't pay $7 for a gallon of gas, there's an app called Gas Buddy that shows you the cheapest gas near you. Supply and demand, I'd like her to explain that one to me. Curious how she would do with it. Here's a good moment. Um, there are people who are doing a lot to help the, those uh, civilians impacted in Ukraine. There's millions of refugees. In Italy, they've taken in some young Ukrainian refugees from the war zone and students gave them a warm welcome. Watch this one. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, 
Talented Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Talented Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. From original art and diplomas to ticket stubs and the keys to your first home, we all have mementos we'd love to put on display. FrameBridge is the easy and affordable way to custom frame just about anything with fair upfront pricing based on the size of your item and fast, free shipping. Plus, your happiness is guaranteed. See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store to get started. That's FrameBridge.com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.